1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and here the Apostle John writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Let's pray together. Father, we ask at this time that you would allow your Spirit to move in a mighty way, God. As he inspired the words that we have just read, we pray that he would also illuminate these words. That we might better understand what's going on here and Father, open our hearts that we might receive this truth and we might apply this truth in our lives today. Father, the only way that your word will transform us is if, God, you cause this to happen. And so we humble ourselves and pray, God. Pray for your move today of the Spirit. Pray that you would bring each and every one of us into conformity with your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we come to the letters of John, we believe they were likely written by the Apostle John. You might say, well, duh, it's called 1 John. But when we read the letter, we have no uh, testimony of authorship there. He doesn't say, well, this is John writing to you. But what we do have is early evidence in the 1st and 2nd century of the early church Practically unanimously, the early church believed that the Apostle John wrote these letters. It's also believed that John wrote not only this book of the Bible, but a total of five New Testament books. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Church tradition holds that John was the only apostle that was not martyred for his faith in Christ. It's believed that John lived to a... a, a, later age, an older age, believed that uh, he wrote these books somewhere in the area of 85 to 100 A.D. And so he lived uh, 60, 70 years after Jesus, and also 20, 30 years after Peter and Paul and the other disciples. Tradition also places him, interestingly enough, at the city of Ephesus, uh, Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Uh, where Paul started a church and one of his missionary journeys and where Timothy pastored for a while. It's believed that later in life the Apostle John ended up at Ephesus and that's where we get the name of our church if you uh, did not know that. Uh, that John was there at Ephesus and he wrote these letters to quite possibly area churches. A, a pastoral sense that John was concerned for the doctrine and the fellowship of these churches and so he wrote these letters and, and quite possibly these churches were the seven churches found in the book of Revelation if John wrote that also as we read uh, Revelation 1 through 3 we see those seven churches named it's believed that John had two main purposes in writing the book of 1 John one was to combat false teachers 
And the other was to encourage true Christians. Combat false teachers and encourage true Christians. And the way he did that was he, as we said earlier, he reminded them of the truth of Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? And what exactly did Jesus Christ do for us? And in, in drawing the attention to Jesus, John seeks to rectify these situations, those issues there in the early church. He begins his letter in verse 1 by talking about the beginning. He says, what was from the beginning? And we read those words, the beginning, we are reminded immediately of the very start of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We also reminded the first words of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And so as we read these words here at the start of this letter, the beginning, immediately our minds should be drawn to that fact. The eternal nature of God, the unchanging nature of His message of truth. He says, what was from the beginning, what has always existed is the subject matter that he is writing about. He encourages us, first of all, in verses 1 through 2, as we think about the Word of life, who is Jesus Christ, to examine the facts about the Word. Examine the facts. John here starts by giving eyewitness accounts. He says, if you want to know who Jesus really is, you need to come to the eyewitness source, and that is the apostles. And John writes these facts about Jesus. First of all, he reminds us of the full humanity of Jesus. That Jesus is 100% man, and he points to his evidence teaching that. We might say, well, why would John need to remind anybody that Jesus was human? Perhaps he was combating a false teaching that began to rear its ugly head in the early church known as Gnostics, Gnosticism. They taught that all spirit is good and all material things are evil, including the human body. And there is no way God, if he is pure and holy, could ever truly inhabit a physical body because matter is evil. And so they taught, well, Jesus appeared to be a man, but he wasn't really a man. Or, or the spirit came upon Jesus for a while and then left him and they did not believe Jesus was 100% man. And according to John, that is heresy. That's false doctrine. And he starts by saying, what was from the beginning what we have heard? Who is we? John is including himself along with the other apostles. And in doing this, he is drawing a, a clear line of demarcation between himself and the false teachers. In fact, in these first four verses, the first person plural pronoun, either we or our or us, appears 13 times. He is really emphasizing this here. We, the apostles, have this to say about Jesus. And if you want to understand anything about the truth, you need to come to us. We are the only credible source to follow anybody else who is teaching anything else contrary to what we, the apostles, are teaching is wrong. We, he says, have heard, we have seen with our eyes 
what we have looked at and what we have touched with our hands. John says it doesn't get any more real than this. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked at. It goes beyond just glancing at something. It's a a full-on gaze, a a full-on examination. It's like when you're a kid and you come inside and your mama begins to check your head for ticks. It's a thorough, thorough examination, looking at, gazing at. John says, we did this with Jesus. We heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount. We heard him teach us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We have heard these things. We have heard him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We've heard these things. We have seen Him. We've seen Him walk on water. We have seen Him raise the dead. We've seen Him heal the sick. We have seen Him feed 5,000. And we have gazed longingly upon Him, studying Him as He claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah. We wanted to know for sure. We touched Him with our own hands. We shook his hands. We, we hugged his neck. We were with him. You want to know anything about Jesus? Come to us. We were there, John says. And he says, concerning the word of life, the, the message about Jesus, or the message that belongs to Jesus. It's the word of life. Jesus is the life, he, he shows us in verse 2. Concerning Jesus Christ, the message of life, the word of life. And John reminds us, as we looked at a few weeks prior, you cannot separate the word written from the word living. The Bible and Jesus go hand in hand. What the Bible says, Jesus says. What the Bible affirms, Jesus affirms. He is the embodiment of the word of God. John points that out by talking about what he has proclaimed and what he writes. Jesus is the subject, and he is an expert witness. The full humanity of the Savior is necessary for your salvation. In other words, Jesus had to be a human being because he is taking your place on the cross. You, as a sinful human being, could not have your sins paid for unless another human being stood in your place. If Jesus was not 100% man, you are still lost in your trespasses and sins. The full humanity of Jesus, but he also talks about the full divinity of Jesus, recognizing that Jesus is 100% man, but also 100% God. This was something that was debated even in the early days of the church. Back in the 4th century, there was something known as the Arian controversy. This fellow named Arius, trying to hold tightly to this idea of monotheism, there's only one God, he said, Jesus cannot be God, because that means you would have more than one God. But in 325, the Council of Nicaea, the early church came together and said, well, according to the Scriptures, according to many places, according to what John says here at the beginning of this letter, Jesus is God. And to believe anything else other than the 100% divinity of Christ is heresy. That was in the early days of the church. Back in the first century, John was writing this. Back in the fourth century, it was debated. Even today, 
we got many religious groups that say, yeah, Jesus was man, but he wasn't 100% God. The Muslims teach Jesus was a man, a prophet, a good man, but he wasn't the Son of God. The Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, but there was a point in time where Jesus was created by God. But John says what was from the beginning, what was there at the very start. And then he gets into verse 2 and he says, the life was manifested. The word of life was revealed, was appeared to us. And we, he says, have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What was from the beginning? The eternal life, what has always existed and what was always with the Father has been manifested, has revealed himself to us. We saw him We heard Him, we gazed at Him, we touched Him, and He was the eternal Son of God, always with the Father, eternal life, and He appeared to us. The deity of Christ is necessary for salvation. Because you see, without Jesus being sinless, His sacrifice for your sins was not sufficient. God bless you. Without Jesus being eternal, an eternal payment to an eternal God could not have been made. You see, Jesus had to be 100% man to take your place. He had to be 100% God to be a perfect sacrifice for you. Jesus is the only being ever to have those dual natures in one person. The full humanity and the full divinity of Jesus and John says I encourage you to examine these facts I am an eyewitness the book Case for Faith by Lee Strobel explains his journey from atheism to Christianity he started out by examining the evidence as an atheist to try to prove that Jesus never really existed or never really was raised from the dead but by examining the facts he came to the point where he said the facts are true Jesus must be the Son of God, must be the Savior. But you know, examining the facts will not save you. You can have all the facts about Jesus you want, that doesn't mean you're saved. You can believe Jesus was fully man and fully God. You can believe Jesus died on the cross for mankind's sins. Satan believes that. Facts must lead you to faith. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the next point here in verse 3. You must embrace the fellowship of the Word. The fellowship of the Word. You hear the word fellowship. We're not talking about food. Most of us, we hear that. You say, there's going to be fellowship at church tonight. You're probably not going to eat supper before you come to church because you assume there's going to be some food there. There's fellowship, right? Fellowship means to share something in common, to have a a common bond, a a shared community around something. And that something, of course, is Jesus. That means no matter your background, no matter your your identity, if, if you are a Christian, we share this. And that's what John's writing about here in verse 3. He says, first of all, you can unite with Christians. 
you can unite with Christians. But in order to do that, you must align yourself with the apostolic doctrine. You must agree with what the disciples and the apostles have written about Christ. There's no way you can have Christian fellowship without that. How do we know that? Look at verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. He says, the knowledge that we have about this word of life, we proclaim it, we announce it to you, we speak this to you. So that, he says, so that the result is, the desired result, so that you too may have fellowship, may have something in common with us. It says, the apostles, we speak this message about Jesus to you so that you can have that in common with us, this fellowship with us. We speak this so that that would happen. In other words, he's saying, that will never happen unless we proclaim it to you. Saving faith will never be manifested apart from the proclamation of the truth. That's why we as the church need to be telling people, speaking this good news of Jesus. It goes beyond just telling people, hey, be good, do your best, and, and God is okay. No, we need to proclaim the message of truth. The reality of sin, but also the payment for sin on the cross by Jesus. John says, we proclaim this to you so that you may have this common fellowship, this bond, this community with us with us, with the disciples. One body, one family, one church, all Christians throughout all the ages of the world, throughout all the places of the world. We are one fellowship. You can unite with Christians through the proclamation of the gospel, but also, he says, the only way we share this in common is that you can unite with Christ. The only way to have fellowship with with Christians, with the apostles, is to be united with Christ. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, the reason why we want you to have fellowship with us is because our fellowship is with God. And the only way you're going to have a relationship with God is if you share that fellowship with us. Because we have the truth, the message of the word of life. Because we were there. We heard him, saw him, touched him, and therefore we have fellowship with him. And the only way you're going to have fellowship with him is if you have fellowship with us. With the Father and the Son, this, this union with God only comes by adherence to the true message of the apostles. If you hear the doctrine and you agree and affirm the doctrine and put your faith in, in Jesus whom this doctrine teaches, then you will have fellowship with God. But conversely, breaking fellowship with the apostles and their teaching means breaking fellowship with God. Say, I have fellowship with God, but I don't believe Jesus is fully God. John says, you don't have fellowship with us because that's what we're saying. If you don't have fellowship with us, our fellowship is with God. You can't come to God unless you affirm and agree with the apostles' teaching regarding Jesus, His humanity and His divinity. 
doesn't matter how sincere you are in your adherence to some sort of ethical or moral or religious code. It doesn't matter. John says, our fellowship is with God. We have proclaimed to you the word of life so that you'll have fellowship with us. There's no way to come to God apart from the truth that the, the apostles who were there with him, they are the credible source. Anybody else teaching anything other then that about Jesus is false. If it's false, it will not save you. There's been a lot mentioned lately about the division in our society, political divisions and sexual divisions and racial divisions and economic divisions and all these things, but in reality there are only only two people in this world, two kinds of people those who are saved and those who are lost children of God and children of the devil those going to heaven, those going to hell that's the only true separation that exists in this world John said we can have fellowship, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your age, your race, your economic standing, it doesn't matter if we share this bond around the word of life, if we share faith in the true Jesus We share this in common. And we need to embrace that fellowship and make much of that fellowship. But apart from that, there is no salvation. We must embrace the fellowship of the Word. Finally, we need to experience the fulfillments of the Word. Fulfillment, verse 4, means that knowing and sharing the hope of Jesus satisfies us, fulfills us, Verse 4, we see his message brings salvation. It says, these things we write. These things, what things? Things dealing with eternal life. Things dealing with salvation. Things dealing with the Word who became flesh and dwelt with us. So that they beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. He says, these things we write. These truths about Jesus we put down on pen and paper to you these things we write because he understands that his message is the only thing that brings salvation, the gospel truth. Knowing Christ. Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Knowing Jesus, His message brings salvation. His mission brings satisfaction. John goes on to say in verse 4, These things we write so that... John, why are you writing this? What's your point? In verse 3, I'm writing so you'll have fellowship with us. I'm also writing these things, verse 4, so that our joy may be made complete. Our joy will somehow be finalized. Completed joy. Satisfaction. He says the only way we as, as apostles of Jesus, the only way we as followers of Christ will have our joy completed is by telling others. I'm writing these things because you need to know these things to be saved. I'm writing these things because Jesus gave us the Great Commission to go and make disciples. I'm writing these things because I understand that 
God blesses obedience. A failure to tell others the message of Christ is sin. Because he told us, hey, go tell others. And to withhold that information is sin. And John says, I I can't be satisfied if I'm in sin. So I'm going to obey the Great Commission. I'm going to write these things because I know obeying God is the only way I'm going to be satisfied. That his mission, his mission, telling others this message of hope, that's the only thing that's going to satisfy me. You see, hope should never be hoarded. And if we as a church say we, we have hope in Jesus and all we're going to do is try to keep that to ourselves and this world's dying and going to hell all around us, shame on us. If you truly believe that the gospel is a message of hope, tell it. Share it. Because God will bless that. He blesses obedience, John says, so that our joy may be made complete. John says, I can't complete my own joy. That's passive. That means something or someone else must complete my joy for me. You'll never have completed joy unless God completes your joy. And God will never complete your joy unless you're obeying Him. And you're not obeying Him if you're not telling other people the message of hope. We write these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. That's why John is writing this, because he understands. He has a message other people need to hear. He's got a message God told him to speak, so he's going to tell it. He's going to speak it. And let God, through the Holy Spirit, complete his joy. It's a scary time. We've mentioned several times today. It's a scary time for our nation. Listening to commentators talk about, you know, the world wars, the Great Depression, the events, the the social turmoil in the 1960s. You know, our our time that we live in today is is very reminiscent of of some of these scary times in our nation, dealing with terrorists from the outside and division on the inside and. Again, the only solution to this is the gospel. The only solution is hearts being transformed. People being saved and and growing and becoming more like Jesus. If everybody was like Jesus, we wouldn't have these problems, would we? (laughs) We wouldn't have terrorism, snipers, assassinating cops. Racism and, and division and we wouldn't have if everybody was like Jesus. So what we need to do as Christians is is by God's grace become more like Christ. Tell that message so that others would be saved and they would be transformed and they would become more like Christ. You see, that's the only solution to the ills that plague our society. You got lost people that need to get saved. The only way it's going to happen is if the church rises up and becomes the church. Political leadership has failed this society. Every form of leadership has failed. We are in a mess. It's time for the church to rise up and lead the way. 
Say, all these other things have failed. Hey, follow us. The only way people's going to follow us is if we get our acts straightened up. And we go out and we live the truth and we speak that truth. You see, we look at the problems today and we say, wow, these are problems, but we also can look at this and say, you know what? Opportunity knocks. Opportunity knocks. There is lostness all around us. That means it's opportunity for us to share our faith and make a difference. And we need to seize that opportunity. It's no time to water down the truth. It's no time to be bickering with your brother and sister in Christ. We ain't got time for that. The world doesn't have time for that, folks. Let's squash all that. Let's focus on Jesus. And let's give this world Jesus. That's where John began his letter. That's where John stays in this letter. And that's where you and I need to stay as well. Folks, we need to wander at the truth and not wander from the truth. We need to be in amazement at Jesus and who He is. And we must never abandon that truth of who Jesus is and what He came to do. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before You in Jesus' name. We thank You once again, God, for Your written Word a sure word, a certain word, an authoritative word that came straight from those who were with Jesus. We thank you that, God, you have manifested yourself through the Son, Jesus Christ, that you became flesh and dwelt among us and you demonstrated for us what faithful living looked like but you also lived a sinless life to be a satisfaction for us. You also went to the cross to be a substitute and die for our sins. And by trusting in you and in your message, we can be saved. We thank you for that truth, God. We don't deserve to be saved. No one does. We've sinned. We deserve condemnation. But God, you are a merciful God, a loving God. Therefore, Jesus came to save us through his death and his resurrection. So Lord, we pray today if there is anyone here, anyone within the sound of my voice that has never surrendered their lives to Christ, the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the apostles' doctrine, the Jesus that was testified by eyewitnesses. If there is anyone in the sound of my voice that has never trusted in this Christ for their salvation, we pray that would happen today, right now. They would yield their lives, surrender and humble themselves and say, I need to be saved. The only hope I've got is Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, both written and living. We thank you for the work that you have done, you will do, and the work that you are doing right now. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. If you would please stand as we have this hymn of decision.
<clears throat> we are reminded of God's faithfulness to us. That promise that if we come to Him and we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. There's the opportunity for you to do that. God's leading you to salvation, rededication, church membership, baptism, whatever the case may be, would you come as we sing? Thank you.